Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Um, we have a beautiful passage to go through in First Thessalonians this morning. When I read through these final verses that um, Paul is speaking to this church, I just had this incredible... <sighs> feeling, and I hope that we, you can get the same thing. So uh, at the end of this uh, book, verse 27, Paul is encouraging the readers. He's saying, make sure that this letter is read to all brothers and sisters. And I love that we did that together as a church. There is power in us corporately reading this book together. And so we're going to go through um, in chapter 5, verse 12. So you can follow on the screen or grab your Bible or turn it on. We have a lot to go through, so we're going to jump right in. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So here Paul is talking about church leadership. He's talking about leaders of the church. And you know what? God orchestrates authority. It is a God-ordained thing, whether inside or outside the church. Ouch, some people don't like that. And Romans 12 teaches us that leadership is God-ordained. Paul is instructing us, and he's telling you, and he's telling me, we need to actually acknowledge those that God has appointed in church leadership. Why? Because they are working hard. <laughs> some versions even say those who are laboring among you. And I have a 13-month-old, and I see a lot of kids in here. A lot of you moms know what labor feels like. It is fresh for me, okay? It is fresh. I have not forgotten yet. But you know what? Pretty soon after that baby comes out, the pain ends, right? Doesn't it? Moms? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Church leadership is constant laboring. Constant laboring. Does that sound enticing to you? Probably not. But to labor and to care and to admonish, and admonish is otherwise known as to rebuke. So church leaders are to rebuke you. Yes. Can I get an amen, John O'Norton? Um, these are the three, three things of a threefold calling of what Christian leaders are actually called to do. And it is not an easy task. So when Paul is saying we need to acknowledge those, he's saying we need to know, we need to know our church leaders. We, shouldn't, we should actually know what do they need. We shouldn't be cold towards them or distant. They need to be fed sometimes, encouraged, honored, loved, because this is not an easy task. We need to go to the church where the preacher is preaching and teaching the word of God. We also need to accept their correction as it's coming from a pastor or a friend, because you know what? This role that God has placed, there's a duty and an expectation that they have the business of carrying the weight of man's soul. And I don't know about you, but these are not campaigned for positions. <laughs> I don't see anyone campaigning and fighting to be in this role. This is a place that God has appointed, and there is a weight to that. And I know that those who are called to that, we need to hold them in the highest regard. It says because of their work, not because of how they dress, not because if they preach something you like or don't like, but because of the work that they are doing. We, we are to hold them in the highest regard and love. So as an American, this is really different for me. When I came to this culture, 
being encouraging and being like celebrating others was really, really different to the Australian culture. And I'm not trying to place a judgment on that, but it is like, whoa, holy crap, sarcasm constantly. This is really different. I struggle. I really, really did. And, um, Daz is really unique in that. He's very, very encouraging. And my husband is really, really rude to Brown and mean to her. And I'm like, stop doing that. That's not okay. This is so uncomfortable. But this is not kingdom culture, guys. We need to be encouraging and loving and supporting our leaders. And today is an amazing day to do that. We're celebrating 10 years. Daz and Brown, we love you. Thank you on behalf of our church for what you have done, seen and unseen. You need to get better at receiving this, okay? But we really do honor you but we really do honor you. But this is one thing that shouldn't just be done on a 10-year celebration. This is a daily thing because, again, as we said, it's constant laboring. So then Paul starts to talk about how do we treat one another. Verse 14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. I would consider myself to be a pretty empathetic person. If you sit with me and you're crying, I'll probably start crying. I love to care for people. I love to encourage those who are struggling. That's why I love to do what I get to do. Not that all of you are struggling, but you know what I mean. But sometimes people can be like, okay, I've encouraged you like three times. I'm over this by now. You know there's like that Eeyore. Eeyore, everyone knows Eeyore. I'm fine. Everything's so hard and awful. It's like, oh my gosh, you can't be that bad, people. Come on. But Paul is saying, encourage the disheartened. There's no limit. There's no cap to it. Keep being encouraging. Helping the weak. This isn't just physically. This is emotionally. This can be spiritually. This can be spiritually. Maybe that weak person is in your life so that you and I can help them grow in that specific area. Don't turn away. Be patient with everyone, believers and non-believers. No tit for tap. And then we hear that word striving. I'm a striver. I wish I wasn't, but I am. I, I'm a people pleaser sometimes. And I want to be an achiever and I'm motivated. But I love that this tells me I can biblically strive when it's for the good of others and for everyone else. So we can strive our little hearts out if others are the recipients of that. Now, now Paul starts talking about our spiritual health and well-being. He's saying rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Holy crap. Does anyone read that and think like, I cannot do that. This is not, I'm failing. I don't know how to rejoice always. I was complaining yesterday because of, of how tired I was. But you know what? This is one of those moments, you know, when the Bible is like a mirror and it starts reading your life and you're like, it doesn't really look like that, God. But this is God's will for us, which is crazy to think about. Rejoicing means to feel delight. I want to feel delight every day. And these above three things are all choices. We can choose these three things. And praying continually is a part of what helps us to rejoice always. So praying continually isn't being in a closet for 10 hours a day because that's not realistic. It's also not saying, okay, I prayed Monday and I prayed Wednesday, I prayed Friday. Okay, yes, I'm in prayer. Those are great things, but he's saying pray continually. 
So my daughter, Scarlett, she's in daycare. And when I go to work, I leave her. I say, bye, Scarlett. I love you. I don't talk to her or and I don't see her until I get home. Don't drop God off or say bye as you start your day. Bring him along with you in your day. Some of our phones probably go with us to more places than God does. <laughs> right? Ew. Sanitize it, okay? But... Invite him in before your feet hit the ground, before you brush your teeth, as you start a meeting, before you send the text, just talk to God. He wants to be invited in. Giving thanks. Giving thanks is the third part of what helps us to rejoice always. God can hear our thoughts. We know that. God knows what I'm thinking, which sometimes I'm like, please don't. But you know what? Something happens to the tenderness of our hearts when we verbalize our gratitude. We say, God, thank you for this. When we write it down on a piece of paper, when we take the time to be thankful. And some of you are wanting to know what God's will is for your life. You want to be in alignment with God's will. Here it is. Are you ready? Be a thankful Christian that prays and is joyful. That is what he's saying. So if you're like, what is God's will for my life? This is it. And if this isn't what your life looks like, it's okay. We can work on that together. But I love this scripture because this sets up the context for verse 19. And verse 19 is do not quench the spirit. Quenching means to extinguish. It's to put something out. Because an unquenched spirit is one that rejoices always in opposition. An unquenched spirit is to be in consistent, humble prayer with our Heavenly Father. An unquenched spirit is when we're marking our blessings more than our disappointments. So to quench, to extinguish, Paul is saying, he's not talking about the man spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and the, and the, the graces of the Holy Spirit that are in our daily life. So don't distinguish that, don't extinguish that spirit in your daily life. And you know, a spirit can sometimes be known or talked about as a fire. There are certain things you just don't put on a fire, Benny Skews. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. But sometimes, sometimes you put things on the fire and it makes the, the fire, you know, be a bit warmer and hotter. That is what, like, what our spirit is like. And you know what reignites our spirit? Repentance. <laughs> Repentance. If you are dim, if your spirit is dim, if you are neglecting the gifts in your, in your life, if God has spoken you, you are a preacher, and you are not doing that, you are quenching the spirit that's within you. Live, when you live for your own preferences, we're quenching the spirit. What is the fuel? It's God's word. It's God's word. We can also quench the spirit when we believe everything you, we hear. And there's a lot of things happening even in the church right now of what we're hearing right now. <laughs> even if we think it's God, the Thessalonians were believing rumors. They weren't testing the words, which is why we read verse 20. He's telling them, do not treat prophecies with content, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So we have some tools that we use here at the chapel um, we have prophetic sessions, shameless plug for Donna Kathy Tanch. If you're not a part of that, you should be not because you can be prophetic, but if you're a person who receives prophetic words, this is how, and what we can do to test them. So the first thing is, is prophetic people, they are ace, they are accountable, they are connected and they are encouraging. And there'll be some images on the screen of what those breakdowns are. And for the sake of time, I won't fully run through them. But if you want to get these, you need to go to prophetic sessions. I'm not going to give them to you. But they are 
characteristics of what people are like who are giving you prophecy. So if that person is some random mojo off the street, it's probably not God, and you can move it to the side. But there's, if someone is connected to church, they've went to a church leader, and they have said, I have this prophecy, we can receive that as a good word from God. And these are all helpful things to do. Also, an old covenant versus new covenant prophecy. There are differences between that. And these are gauges on how we can receive prophecy and be smart about what we are depositing into us, into our spirit. A lot of us use the term, you know, God said, and God said this, and God's telling me this, especially during this time, um, these past year or so. Even if God has said something, we need to test it. And there are three things that Tanya Harris, who came, helped us um, to um, go through. And it is three questions to ask. Would Jesus say this to me? Is someone else saying this? So there is confirmation in what God's saying. And third, are there spiritual signs following this? No matter what, if God's saying something, awesome, but it must be tested. It must be tested. Verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. I love it. It's God himself. It's his work that does it. It's his work. It's not mine. It's not yours. May God himself, the God of peace. So what that is actually saying is that the God who is ready to give you peace with himself, he's ready to give you peace with himself. How beautiful of that is is a picture. He is a preacher of peace. He is a preacher of peace. He wants to reconcile us to himself. And if and when you turn to God... He says that he's going to sanctify you fully to 100%. And I don't know about you, but there's some things that are in my life that I know people probably don't want from me. But you know what? God wants all of you. God wants all of you. He wants to sanctify all of you. And so what does sanctification mean? To sanctify means to set you apart. It's to set you apart. It's to be made holy. It's the process of God purifying you. He's renovating your insides and making it look like a Bali beach house. No, I'm kidding. But he's, he's purifying and renovating your insides. He's, he's cleansing you until you are without blemish. You and I are better than an Apple software update. Because you know what? God is always improving us. How cool is that? God is not in our life that's like, I'm going to just downgrade you. No matter what difficulties we have, we're always going to go up and down, but we're always at an upward trajectory. There's no beta versions here. There's no bug fixes with the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We are constantly progressing. So be encouraged. But remember, it's his work. There's no striving here. It's God himself who does it. And I love in Ephesians when he says um, that the Holy Spirit is the seal, that we are going to be in completion. So if you and I have the Holy Spirit, we can say, God isn't going to give up on me. He is going to be with me this whole time and complete me until Jesus comes back. Verse 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all brothers and sisters. Paul was establishing here, he is just like any other man. He needs prayer. (laughs) He struggles. And this is a great leadership lesson for those of you in this room. Pray for your leaders. There's no better way to love and care for them than to pray for them. Holy kiss was just a custom at the time. 
but I love that it says all of God's people. We should be loving to all of God's people. There's a special thing between God's people. We shouldn't be a club, but we should be loving each other differently than everyone else. So if you just want to turn to your neighbor, no, no kissing. That's a joke. Sorry, if anyone's single, sorry. Verse 27, Paul is telling them, he's, he's having these people make somewhat of an oath. Stinger was excited. Sorry, Carissa. She just gave him a look. She, um, he is having them make somewhat of an oath when he said, I charge you before the Lord. That was like a serious thing that, that Paul was saying that everyone would read this. As Christians, scripture is for men, children, and women. It is for everyone. It is to be read together. All should have access to reading scriptures. There's power in that. And then finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We need no more than to make us happy than to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ever-flowing and overflowing fountain of grace to supply all of our wants. And I love at the start of this book, he says what um, Sean, Shane Willard always says, grace and peace, everybody. Grace and peace, everybody. Grace and peace, he said. And then we end and he says, the grace of our Lord be with you. Because grace is at the start and grace is at the end. We all need grace and grace and grace and grace and grace. So that is it, everybody. That is it from me. We're going to do a bit of a breakout at your table, okay? So we have five minutes before Pastor Daz comes up. We're going to reframe to rejoice this morning. We have a lot to celebrate. So I want you to pick one hard thing that happened to you this week and think about it. How can you reframe it to rejoice and thank God for it instead? Awesome. Thanks. Um, you know what I love as we celebrate 10 years? Here's one of the things I love about our church. See that light there? I know you're thinking the same thing. You're going, that's what I love as well. What I love about our church is four weeks ago that wasn't there. But someone three months ago was thinking about it, going, how do we make it even better for people? I love that. Now, of course, it wouldn't matter if we were gathering under a tree because we're here for Jesus and God's people and, of course, the world all around us. And so, but I do love that. Thank you to everyone for the last 10 years, everyone that's sacrificed, everyone that's been involved, everyone that's done their bit. And um, that's probably all I've got to say in this moment. So thank you. And uh, we appreciate it. Everything that we've been on this journey with God, it's been a miracle story. When you're young, you wake up hoping you're going to be part of a move of God. And for 10 years, we have. And so my job today is to, if you're new to this service, again, we preach in two parts. Uh, we don't preach a minute longer than a normal preacher. We just preach in two parts. And uh, one of those parts is to go deeper in the text through the book. And the other part is to go forward. And um, I'm not sure, or I'm probably sure why we do both. But I exclusively do the second because other people are way better at the first. So my job today is to help you. How do we go forward from what we just read in 1 Thessalonians? Um, we read here 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Linnea talked about it beautifully. Pray continually. Verse 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Other parts of Thessalonians, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Uh, Thessalonians, again, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I want to talk in the few minutes that I have. Um, pivotal to a standing firm and thriving 
faith. Let me start again. Pivotal to a standing firm and thriving faith is prayer that wins the battle in the spirit or that wins the battle in the spiritual. Uh, and so I've been thinking this year, a lot of my preaching, if you're in 10 a.m., is I'm talking about standing firm. I think it's a time for standing firm people and a standing firm church. Uh, through the COVID period, many people went deeper in their devotion to God. Some people drifted in their faith from God. And now's a time to determine to stand firm in our faith. And so as we think about prayer, it's got an important part to play. So in the minutes, so we've got three ways to pray that win the battle in the spiritual. Three ways to pray that help us to stand firm in our faith. Ephesians 6 verses 18 to 20 says this, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching the message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should, Paul says. Uh, Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20 really just an incredible insight into the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, the spiritual response of godly people. And here he's talking about prayer and he makes three big statements about prayer. And I, I, I wonder when you think about prayer, like me, if prayer really works as effectively as the Bible says, do you think your prayer life is like right on target with where God would want us to be at? It's not a negative statement. It's just, am I fully utilizing the maybe the most underrated power in all of creation? When you think about powerful things... What do you think? I think prayer might be the most powerful thing that we have at our fingertips or whatever on our lips that we have access to. And if that were, is the case, that it may then be maybe the most underutilized power in all of creation. How about your life? How would you say? And so given prayer's potential, would you say you fully utilize its potential? And it's power. Listen to the words of Paul. Let me give you three ways to pray in, the, in, in winning the battle in the spirit. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. And so he's talking here. He says, hey, be praying for things that the Holy Spirit is stirring up. And of course, some of you don't read it that way because you come from a non-traditional background. But... Traditional people say something like that, I would imagine. Keep praying for the things the Holy Spirit is stirring in you. And then the Pentecostal people in the room would say it's speaking specifically to the gift of the Spirit, which the Bible talks about. It's called speaking in tongues. And if you've ever watched The Simpsons and you've never been to church, you've heard of it and they ridicule it. But the Bible's pretty clear about it. And so either way, it's just like being stirred by the Holy Spirit, stirring the Holy Spirit us up in us and praying in the Spirit. And so be praying for things the Holy Spirit is stirring. Be stirring up and praying in the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and it says there's, there's incredible power in that. And I'm not sure that I've fully tapped into it yet. Um, but it's there. And so three ways. The first way is just make a next step in our prayer life. What's the next step for you? What's the next step in your prayer life? My mum lived much of her life um, on her own, but when she remarried um, with a husband who wasn't for the most part, for the most of that time, wasn't a Christian, he eventually did become 
a Christian, but he wasn't. And so she would do things like pray in the shower and pray at the clothesline and pray in the car. And uh, because she just felt like she couldn't sit around praying in front of him, though I'm certain he knew what was going on when she retreated to any of those spaces, because my mum is a loud human. And... (laughs) But that was her way. I wonder what, what in your life, just being super practical, what could you add? I was thinking about, I was asking myself the same question. I thought, I reckon that, you know, I do the prayer and fasting each year and, and it's probably one of the most spiritually dynamic times in my year. It's one of the hungriest. It's where I look the leanest and it's spiritually dynamic. And I thought, you know, I, I think I need to add some seasonal prayer and fasting. I'm just letting you know so that you can keep me accountable. Across the year, beyond the 21 days, I need to, that's me. What, what, what make a next step in your prayer life? What could that be for you? And I remember uh, one, a few years ago, just more generally, um, a, a change I made, a next step with our kids. I was away a fair bit and I just determined, hey, you know, when I'm home, I'm going to, Bron and I talked and went, I'm going to do the mornings. I'm going to, I usually work and then I pray and then at 7.30 I wake the kids and then we hang out and I take them to school about 8.30. We have a bit of a song list that we have to make the mood great as they arrived at school and all that kind of thing. And I was driving after I dropped them the other day and I thought, oh, I have no regrets about a single morning. Because Bella's gone now, and uh, we forgive whoever's involved in that decision. (laughs) But the reality is that the only thing I'd go back and do is start earlier. I have no regrets about a single morning that I said no to whatever I said no to, to be at home with my kids, to make them breakfast, to iron their clothes. My mum never did that. (laughs) Make their breakfast, iron their clothes, hang out, laugh and get ready for the day. No regrets. I reckon prayer in our life is like that. I can't imagine there's a single person on the planet that's ever lived who upgraded their prayer life and regretted it down the track, went, oh man, I wish I prayed less, wish I never made that change, wish I just stuck with the rhythm I had and not done any more. It's not about more and more and burden and weight. It's about power and potential and opportunity and leveraging this spiritual power that God has given his people access to that actually changes things all of the time. I'm to go to port this afternoon and um, to our little gathering there. And to be honest, I got in the car and said, Lord, if there's going to be a landslide, can you just pull it forward to today? So I'd rather stay home. And uh, so they're praying the roads open probably. I'm praying the road closes. And, uh, but, you know, there's power in prayer. Who knows what God's up to? What's your next step in prayer? What is it? Paul adds, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And I don't know how it is. I find that big, broad prayer, my faith doesn't readily rise to it. My faith can rise to this and my faith can rise to our region and my faith can kind of rise to our nation, but people everywhere, I start to, it's like, really? Is it? Is, and I don't know, but I know that the Bible calls me to it. And it says, stay alert. And I like this. Just staying alert to what's going on in and around my life so that I'm praying for people. Do you do that? I'm watching, I'm observing, trying to listen. And then pray for people. Stay alert. Be persistent 
in our prayers for all believers everywhere. I, met, I mentioned my um, stepdad, Brian. Um, you know, we prayed for him. My mum would have prayed for him every day. And we prayed for him for more than a decade. And I'd leverage every time I went to speak in his local church. And, and he'd just say no. And then one Sunday, I think it was an Easter, he says, hey, are you speaking this morning? Oh, yeah, I am. He said, I'm going to come. Actually, I wasn't speaking. He just came. And uh, I didn't even invite him. I'd stopped inviting. And then midway through the service, I get a tap on the shoulder. And there's my stepdad in tears in the middle of the service. No altar call, no prayer point, just in the middle of the service. The service paused as he started to break down and weep as God had drawn his heart over 10 years of my mum's persistent, staying alert prayer. And he committed his life and surrendered his life to Jesus. Pray for all believers. Here's a, here's a good practice. Every time we would comment on someone, turn and convert it into a prayer. Uh, for example, I was at here yesterday. We had uh, what we call I Love My Church Day, uh, which is code for working bee. And, um, and Frank was in charge. And so, you know, I, Frank just kept telling me what to do all day. All day, every time I turned around, Frank was there, giving me a new order. And I worked for Frank in my 20s, and I thought, like, this is like going back. I've just gone back to the year 1997, and Frank's just telling me what to do all day. And so I turned to Frank, and I said, Frank, stop telling me what to do. <laughs> no, I did not. But I did realise that I was trying to give other instructions at some point and needed to learn to just do as I was told. <laughs> now, I'm not going to tell anyone about how demanding Frank was yesterday. <laughs> I'm not going to mention it anywhere. I'm going to turn it into a prayer. Wouldn't it be good every time that we're tempted to mention somebody, make a statement about somebody, that we be alert to what's really going on and that we commit them to prayer? That'd be a great way to start, just winning the battle in the spirit. That's the second thing. And then the third thing Paul says is in this passage is, pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can speak or boldly explain God's mysterious plan. Pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And uh, Paul's going, I need your prayers. I just need your prayers. And I don't know about you, but I need your prayers. I was last night just watching the footy, doing a bit of a workout, and... Someone texted me and said, hey, I don't know why, but I just wanted you to know I've been praying for you the last few days. I tell you what, it was like, it was like energy to my spirit. I texted him back and said, I'm living right with God, but I am praying for you and the way you live. No, I just texted him back and said, thanks, mate. I really appreciate that in this season. And Paul's saying, hey, I need your prayers. Pray specifically, number three, and strategically. Who could you pray specifically and strategically for? Who is that? Who specifically and who strategically? It's a great thing to write down and then see prayers come to pass. And so what if it were just three people or five people, um, whatever it is, just, you know, text someone, ask them, how can you be praying? And text someone who you'd never think. Text someone whose life is hidden in the fringes maybe. Text someone who, you know, if you're thinking of texting me, maybe text someone that nobody else is probably texting and text them or ask them 
or we just begin to pray for them and let them know next time what a great thing for us to do. Um, pray for me too. And, and as I wrap, just a final note. I love what Paul says here. He says, hey, pray that I'll be bold and that I'll, be, I'll have just the right words. Pray that I'll be bold. And I think if we just took one thing away to pray for each other today, that'd be a great thing. Pray that we'd be bold and pray that we'd have just the right words to speak. Most of the people I know who are bold in their faith are crazy. You know, they're like grenades. That's not what Paul's paying. Paul was not a grenade thrower. He's like, I'm going to be bold for the gospel, but I want to do it just the right way. God, give me the right words. And Lord, make me bold. And he's saying to other people, knowing that their prayers have power in his life, he's saying, I pray that I'll be bold and pray that I have just the right words. And may we continue to be a praying people and may we continue to pray for each other. So why don't you stand and um, let me pray. Let's just close our eyes. Moment of as much quiet as we can manage in a barista-filled room. Heavenly Father, come Holy Spirit. Comfort every person's heart. Encourage every person's spirit. And Lord, I pray. Uh, Lord, make us, help us to see the potential and power yet to be realized in the way we pray. Help us to be a praying people. Stir us by your Holy Spirit. Prompt us as we go about our ways and days, Lord. May we be the kind of people that are stirring up the Spirit within. May we be the kind of people praying for, uh, it's talking to believers, Lord, all around us. May we be eyes open, ears listening, hearts prompted kind of people. And uh, Lord, I just pray for all of us, Lord, for boldness. Uh, in terms of living our faith, um, boldness in terms of the message of Jesus. And Lord, just the right words to say it, all of us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.